Good morning. It's great, guys. Thank you. Um, my name's uh, John. I'm a lead pastor, and uh, so happy to see all of you guys uh, this morning on uh, first official Sunday uh, of fall. Very cool. Uh, so uh, here's a question we want to start off with today. Uh, who are you? Really? Like, who are you? Uh, and there's a couple different ways uh, that we could answer that question. Uh, we could start to talk about uh, personalities. Uh, uh, to me, anybody really in a personality test? Uh, like Diff Test, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, all that. Like, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, Enneagram 3, by the way. Um, uh, DISC, DI. Um, one of them is like animals. I think I'm a lion or something like that. Uh, but all those like super interesting. And if, if you've ever taken one of those personality tests, sometimes you can have one of those where like you're reading it and it's like, oh, like that is like a lot of who I am. But is like what that test says or doesn't say, is that like really who you are? Um, or you could say uh, your career. And we've got a lot of interesting careers here. Uh, we've got a blacksmith, artisan, uh, we got, like, how many are engineers in here? We got like a hundred engineers, yeah. So yeah, all you like smart people, uh, doctors, firefighters, uh, and get, what you do, I mean, you've spent lots of hours doing it, uh, you've studied, uh, it's so much of who you are is when you introduce yourself with that title, uh, and, and that is a big deal, but is that really who you are, like deep down, is what you do, does that really tell you everything about who you are? Uh, there's uh, some other ones uh, that we can go to, uh, your degree, uh, some of you have a middle school degree, maybe you have a high school degree, uh, maybe you have a college degree, a graduate degree, uh, maybe the degree that you have is something that you're very proud of, uh, you love to be able to tell people the, the letters that are after your name. Uh, maybe for some of us, the degree that we don't have or that we didn't finish is something that we hope most people don't know about us. But is the degree that we have or the degree that we don't have, is that really our identity? Is that who you really are? Uh, your family, uh, your family of origin, maybe some of us are very proud, maybe of us not so proud. Uh, maybe the current family that we have, uh, maybe the family that we hope we'll have someday, maybe the family that we used to have. And there's positives, and there's negatives, and there's wounds, and there's lots of story. And as the family that we're a part of, is that who you are? Uh, your, I forget which order I put these in, uh, housing, uh, if you have a big house, uh, if you have a small house, if you have a clean house, if you have a dirty house, uh, is the place in which you live. I mean, it says something about you, right? And But what your housing says about you, is that really who you are? Uh, next one, uh, your race. Uh, white, German, I think, some sort of a hodgepodge. Uh, Vietnamese, black. Um, redhead something. Happy birthday, by the way. Uh, 
our race is important to us. There's something about like the heritage in which like, you know, we get to like celebrate different things when our families come together and traditions and that can, you know, our, our race is something that is definitely a part of us. But is that totally who we are? Um, or how about this one? Uh, your mistakes. Is that who you are? Uh, and this, uh, for those of you who have been around for a little while, uh, we've talked about this idea that when we come together, uh, we say church is not a building, church is not an organization, it's a group of people, and we want to be an authentic group of people. And so when we get together in our small groups, uh, we want that to be a very kind of authentic place. But even when we get together in these kind of places, uh, this kind of a service, we want this to be a place where like, we're fairly like open. Uh, we've often used the term that we want church to be more like a 12 step program, more like if you were to go to AA or NA or whatever kind of, where you just kind of this, you walk in and, hi, my name's John, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's John, and I am fill in the blank, because we all have different mistakes, different things about us that we have done wrong that we could easily share about our character. And that's, I think, a really good thing it's for us to be able to have this be the kind of a place where there's no pretending, there's no like, oh, you know, yeah, everyone else has their life really together, but like my life, yeah, that everyone here, we've made mistakes. And our mistakes are important for us to own. They're a part of our stories. But is your mistake, does that really, does that tell the whole story of who you are? Or especially if you bring it to kind of the next level of not just like mistakes, but since we're in church, the idea of sin. Does our sin really tell the whole story? And I think this is, for like a group like this, like all of us would like admit to sin. But there's kind of this feeling of like, when I look in the mirror, you wonder like, hey, I bet like a lot of folks in here like, oh, I, I, that, like I'm sure they would say they sinned and like that's cute, you know, and they're church people and like, you know, they would say like, oh no, like, yeah, I stubbed my toe once and I said a bad word. You know, I, I sinned, you know, or I, I, was, I was driving and I went a little bit above the speed limit. But for some of us, we have this, like, like, my sin, like if, if, if the folks in here really knew, and maybe there's even like a feeling of like, I think that maybe, like, even if I've never shared it with someone, we just kind of, as we sit sometimes in a room like this, there can be this thought that everyone else must know. And we just feel like that, like our sin is like who we are. But is that true? Is our mistakes, is our sin, is that really who we are? Uh, today, uh, we are in uh, part two of a series that we started uh, last uh, time we got together, two weeks ago, for our live service. And we're going to be uh, in this series all the way from now all the way into Christmas. So this is our fall focus that we're going to be looking at. And for all of the fall, uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So that is just the first literal, uh, if you're new to the Bible, first couple pages of the Bible. So, I mean, you could sit down and read it in a minute and a half, two minutes if you're a quick, uh, quick reader. And we're going to spend all this time looking at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And the reason why we are doing that is because, as I think most of you know when you pulled in uh, this morning or walked here or bus, whatever, however you got here, is that you are at Christ Church Albany. Uh, and we are obviously a church. We are a group of people that gather together. But we are all about this idea of Christ. Uh, Jesus is so central to the reason of why we do 
everything in life. Uh, and there's reasons of why we think Jesus is such a big deal. Uh, and around here, we'll talk about some really big claims that we believe about Jesus and that Jesus claimed about himself. Uh, so uh, a couple of them that we'll say. Uh, we'll say things like, Jesus is good news for all people, uh, which sounds great. Uh, that Jesus wants to save the world. Jesus wants to forgive our sins. Jesus wants to restore all things. Jesus wants to reconcile that which was lost, which all like sounds wonderful. But I think we can, how does this like play out in like our real actual life? Like in like the real stuff of like, as a dad, you know, of like a middle schooler and a third grader and like marriage and like neighbors and family and like with like in my real life and like the real neighborhoods that I drive past and the people that I see and the issues that I see on the news, like how is that, is Jesus really good news for all people? Like is that really the news that people need to hear today? And when Jesus saving the world, there's some pretty big issues in our world. And there's some pretty big issues in some of our individual lives. And like, is Jesus really somehow, what is he going to do? Like, can all of that really be as good and as big and as vast as what we're trying to make it seem? Uh, and we believe it is. But for us to really understand just like the bigness and impact of Jesus, we think we need to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, so we are looking uh, for the next uh, couple weeks uh, all the way, again, until Christmas. At the very beginning of the Bible, which starts in the beginning. We are saying what happens in the beginning matters for what happens all the way until the very end uh, of the story. Uh, so, next one. Uh, so uh, what we want to look at as we go through these three chapters uh, is we want to look at kind of three big pictures. Uh, so we want to ask this question of what was God's original plan? If the beginning of the story is that God created everything that we see, uh, like the walrus thing, Leslie, it was good. Uh, if God created everything, every people, what was God's original plan? And then what went wrong because we hope that like everything we see and all the trouble and all the pain and all the suffering, like if we hope that wasn't the original plan. So we want to know what was the original plan, but obviously something went wrong. And then what was, what is the answer? What is Jesus's big answer of how he wants to look at all of this? Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and this uh, week, we are looking at this part uh, of the story from Genesis 1. Uh, we are looking at the idea of man kind. Uh, at the very beginning, when God was creating mankind, what was God's original plan? Uh, what went wrong? And what is God's answer when we look at this idea of mankind? Uh, and as we look at this verse today, and as we look all throughout these verses over the next, uh, all of the fall, what we said we want to do is we really want to kind of like dive like underneath, uh, because one of the things we said last time we got together is that when you read the Bible, uh, we believe the Bible is wonderful, the Bible can be incredibly powerful, uh, but we want to be honest that the Bible can be very confusing, uh, that there can be times where we sit down and we read the Bible and we're like, this doesn't make sense, or like, it feels like that there must be a lot more going on here, but like, we just don't totally get it, and that is totally true, because the Bible, why it's absolutely wonderful, the Bible is a very very old book. Uh, so uh, these verses that we're reading today uh, were written over 3,000 years ago. Some people say 4,000, some people say 5,000 years ago, before 
uh, they were written down. They were told around campfires. They were told around all kinds of different, uh, uh, different family dinners. Uh, and so for us to really understand what these verses say, we need to not just look through our English Western eyes. Uh, we need to take a step back of what they really uh, said uh, years and years ago. So what we want to do is, uh, we looked at this last time, uh, is what a guy named Marty Solomon says, is we want to become literary tourists. And so anyone who's ever gone to a different culture before, you know that uh, there's things in different cultures that might mean different things. There's a whole different language you need to learn. Uh, and that we need to not only be literary tourists to go to a different geography, but we're going to a whole new time zone if we want to learn. Uh, and Again, any of you have ever studied language or if you've ever gone to a different culture, there's all kinds of different things where, like, what means something in one culture might mean something very different to a different culture. Uh, so we're telling a story the other day with some friends. Uh, when I was in um, elementary school, uh, we moved from Indiana to Tampa, Florida. Uh, and one of the phrases uh, that they would say in Tampa, Florida that I never heard before in all my years growing up in Indiana was they would ask you this question— can I carry you somewhere? Anyone else grew up in the South? Anyone ever heard that before? Can I carry? Yeah, well, well what does it mean? Yeah, can I, can I give you a ride? And so instead of saying, can I give you a ride in a car, like, can I carry you somewhere? And I, first time I heard it, I was like, all right, I mean, if you want to, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll let you carry me around somewhere. But it, it means something a little bit different, and it, you have to figure out what that means. Uh, and I saw another great um, illustration of that uh, this past week, and so my friend Tim back there uh, sent me this great meme. Uh, so here's what he said. He said, 2,000 years, and Tim didn't say this, he just sent this to me, but Tim would say this. Uh, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years from now, People will not understand the difference between a butt dial and a booty call. <laughs> and this is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. Different? Yeah, you guys can figure that out. Uh, for, if you're sitting next to a kid, you can explain uh, kind of the difference in there. But it's just so important that we kind of take a step back. Uh, and so to help with this, uh, we're going to do some things during our services. Uh, but there's so much to understanding the context of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, of understanding this language and everything else is going around. Uh, so on our website, uh, we have put uh, a new tab called Resources. And for the whole series, there's a list of different resources. And then for each different week, there's podcasts, there's uh, videos, there's books that are very, very helpful. Um, three in particular, uh, that if you're someone who, like, I've tried to read the Bible before, and I just, I just have not gotten that much out of it, or you read something, and it's like, I just... I have such a hard time with this because uh, your per perception is I'm such a scientific, I'm such a historical, I'm such a rational person, and what I'm reading here seems so anti-science, so anti-history. Uh, there's really good ways that we can, like, the Bible was not written to be historical like we understand history. It was not written to be scientific like we understand science. It was written with a different idea, a different agenda. And so if you need help kind of wrapping your mind around that, uh, there's three different books that I wanted to recommend. Uh, probably the easiest access uh, is this book by Rachel Held Evans called Inspired. And so you can uh, check that book out. You can order it on Amazon uh, if you need like the 10 bucks. We'll only need the 10 bucks for that. Uh, probably kind of the next level up uh, is this book by Marty Solomon, who we just read the quote from, a literary tourist called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. And then uh, the most kind of academic of these three, but still accessible, uh, is a, a book by John Walton called Wisdom for Faithful Reading. And there's other books out there. Uh, but just to 
kind of wrap your mind around, like, how do I read the Bible through a different lens and a more faithful lens? Uh, all three of those could be uh, incredibly helpful. Uh, but that's what we want to do today. So uh, we're looking at this verse of God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. We want to ask the question, not just what does this mean for us sitting in this room through our eyes, but the folks that 3,000 years ago wrote this down, for the folks that were sitting around campfires, what would this have meant to them? Uh, and one of the first things that it meant to them is that when they saw a couple of these words, this idea of image and God. Uh, I don't know what that registers for us, but for all of them, they would have been like nodding their heads of like, oh, like I, the idea of, of an image of a God, like that's something that we have seen. Uh, and the reason for that, uh, Israel uh, was not the only ancient civilization, so uh, there was a lot different if you studied uh, your history. Uh, so the Babylonian culture and the Persian Empire and the Egyptian, and there's kind of all these ancient cultures around. And one of the things that was common in every single one of these cultures is that they all had temples. Some were big temples, some were small temples. But when you walked into the temple, there was a image of a god. And so you would walk into this temple, and there would be this big statue or some sort of a carving, and it would be beautiful. It would be made of like precious stones. Uh, it would meant to symbolize power. And every single person would have had some sort of like a registry in their mind of a time where they saw an image of a god. But there was one kind of like standout historically that in all these different nations, that there was one nation, Israel, who for a lot of years didn't even have a temple and then even when they did have a temple, when you walked into their temple, there was no statue. There was no carving. There was no image of a god. And here's why. It's because they believed that God said, let us make man mankind in our image. That there was this one nation of these, all these ancient civilizations that said our image of God is not a statue. Our image of God is a group of people. That when God wanted to make something to show other people what he was like. If you want to walk and if you want to see what the image of God looks like, then you just need to either look in the mirror or you need to look around at the other people around you. Because our image of God is not a statue. Our image of God is a people. Uh, the next thing uh, that they would have thought as they were in this ancient civilization back then uh, as all of these different groups had some sort of sacred or some sort of a literature that explained the history of kind of the origin story of the universe. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, some of you have done this before. Um, I need to give you your book back at some point, James. Uh, James gave me a collection of like a bunch of the different historical narratives of all these different civilizations. And it's interesting, when you read through them, a lot of them are actually pretty similar. They all kind of have a lot of the same characteristics. But there are some really key differences, especially in the story of Genesis, of how it says the creation story happened. Uh, and then here's some of the differences. And so in uh, one of the... Uh, early story. So in the epic of uh, Atrahasis, is that what uh, So, but there you go. Humans are created as an afterthought to do grunt work for the gods. Uh, some of you study like Greek stuff later on. Uh, humans are just kind of like these like petty, kind of like to be toyed with by the gods. And for many of these ancient civilizations, when they talked about how humans were created, it was this idea of one, that it was, it was just an afterthought. It wasn't, that wasn't like 
the plan. That wasn't like what they had envisioned from the very beginning. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, I guess it's kind of a pain that we got to get these things done. Let's create these humans and then they can like accomplish some things for us. Maybe we can toy with them a, a little bit. And they want, it's all about getting work done. So in all of these civilizations, the way in which a human can somehow move beyond just being an afterthought, the way that they can be all of a sudden like really prized by a god is based off of how much work they do or don't do. And so in these cultures, if you were doing a lot of work, if you were really accomplishing a lot of things, then you must be even more significant to the gods. But then this other creation story of Genesis went quite a bit different. So it said, uh, God said, let us make mankind in our image. This idea that God made people from the very beginning on purpose. That was the plan from the very beginning, is that God had a desire, a want, to want to create people. And when he was looking at people, before they had ever done any work, before they had ever done anything to earn anything from God, before they ever did anything to merit anything, God looked at all that he had made, including every single, the, the humans that he had made, and they were very good right at the very beginning. Uh, and then last thing that uh, thousands of years ago when they were writing these stories and sitting around campfires, uh, that they would have thought is there are all these different civilizations, is around all these different civilizations, while a lot of the idea of an image of God would have been a statue, there was some people that they thought, well, maybe those people are made in the image of God. And in, in all of these cultures, those images that were made in the image of God that were human were kings. Uh, so you've seen uh, like in ancient Egypt and the, the pyramids, they believe that these pharaohs and same Babylonian gods and Babylonian kings is that these weren't just like people, that they were somehow ruling on behalf of God, that these people represented God to the world. And so there was this like easy kind of dichotomy of here's all of these kind of peons down here and they're working and they're, you know, they're, they're, yeah. but then there's this other person or people and they, they are living in a palace and they are rich and they are clean and they have all their things put together and this person is made in the image of God, but you guys are just kind of like a different level. But then came around this Genesis story which says something quite different. different. So then God said, let us make mankind as in all of us, everybody, in our image and in our likeness, so that they, all of us, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In this story, it, this is... Everybody is made in the image of God. Male, female, this race, that race, rich, poor. Everybody is made in the image of God. Uh, so for us, sitting here now 3,000 years later, as we read these stories that would have been so different for them, what does this have to say to us about maybe one of the biggest questions that any of us ever ask is, who are we really? Like who, what actually is our identity. 
Uh, and there's at least three things that uh, I want us to get out of this text that I think are so big of what God wants to tell us about his original plan, uh, a little bit of what went wrong, and what is the answer of when God says why he made us, why he made you. Uh, so the first thing uh, that we want you to know is, indeed, that you are created in the image of God. That when you look in the mirror, when you look around this room at the other people that are sitting around you, uh, that later on today, if you go to the grocery store, uh, students when you go to school, uh, workers when you go to work tomorrow, that who you are looking at when you are looking at other people, that they are not just people. That you are looking at the image of God in yourself and in other people. Uh, here's this quote that I love by uh, C.S. Lewis. It says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Your boss, your neighbor, the person that made your shirt is immortal and is made in the image of God. And I think this matters so much. Um, so I have three things I want to let us know. And for each of these, uh, I have a movie reference. And because I'm old, all the movie references are from the 90s. Because that's the like, last time I was like, really watching movies. But maybe you've heard of some of these movies before. Uh, but the first movie reference that I think does a great job of outlining this point is from the movie Aladdin, uh, which is the cartoon version. Uh, so you've seen Aladdin? Anybody not seen Aladdin? You guys have homework to do. Um, so in the movie Aladdin, uh, there's this guy, Aladdin, and he's just kind of this guy who's living on the street, and everybody around him is telling him all of these really destructive messages. Uh, so they're saying that who he is, that he's riffraff, street rat, scoundrel, vandal, outrage, uh, scandal, uh, that that's who he is. And that's, for some of us, I don't know all of your individual stories, that's part of when we think about who we are. There's messages in our head that other folks have told us. For others of us, maybe there's messages that we have told other people that have tried to make them seem like that somehow they are less than. Uh, but Aladdin goes on. It's a little song he sings. I won't sing it because I can't sing. But he's riffraff, street rat. I don't buy that. If only they look closer. Would they see a poor boy or whatever? Would they see whatever it is that you see as maybe your kind of flawed identity, that thing that brings you shame or guilt? Is that what people would see? And what the theologian Aladdin says is he says, no siree. They'd find out there's so much more to me. And one of the things that we believe from Genesis chapter 1 is what's true of every single one of you and what's true of every single person we meet, that if we keep digging a little bit deeper, then part of who they are is they are made in the image of God, which I think should affect how we treat ourselves, and it should affect how we treat other people. 
Uh, the next thing uh, that stands out about this uh, is this idea of, so God created them, mankind. And so a big part of this is, uh, I made this maybe sound a little bit like individualistic. Uh, this really wasn't the idea that he was saying like, you are made in the image of God and you are made in the image of God. Uh, what the author of Genesis is trying to say is this idea of like corporate, like we are made in the image of God. They, you know, add in them, they're a part of the image of God. And, you know, everyone in the city of Albany and all over our country and all over the world and, and all of us together, we make up the image of God. And if you really want to understand what God is like, you really can't look at just like one person, but you need to take all of mankind together because all of us together are made in the image of God. Uh, which really kind of messes with a lot of the things that are true of our identity sometimes, is that what we want to do is we want to rank ourselves. And we say, okay, so maybe everyone's like human, but like these people are more important because of their job, or these people are more important because of their race, or these people are more important because of their education, and these people are less important because of the decisions that they've made in their life. And Genesis 1, I think, wants to hit that. Uh, so, uh, Commentary, if you want to read a commentary for this uh, series, it's pretty accessible. Uh, this one's called uh, Genesis for Everybody, so it's for everybody. Uh, this is a series uh, put on by uh, a theologian N.T. Wright, uh, but this is actually a different guy, uh, John uh, Golden Gay, that wrote this one, but it's fantastic. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, there is no suggestion in the creation stories that God designed the world to be a place where any human beings exercise authority over any others. There was no authority to be exercised by men over women or husbands over wives. There was no masters and servants or slaves. There were no kings and subjects and there were no emperors and underlings. All were one in creation. All these systems that we figured out of sexism, racism, classism, all of those are constructs of what went wrong. The original plan is that mankind is even, and we need to get back to that. Uh, so 90s movie reference, reference for this is uh, the greatest speech uh, ever made in the history of the world. Uh, this is from uh, Independence Day, uh, the, 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 new ver the old version, not the new version. That was terrible. Uh, but here's what he says as the president, fake, of the United States giving the speech before they're going to kill the aliens or something, and a different discussion about whether aliens are equal. We'll figure that out later. Um, but this is what he says. Mankind, that, world, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. And that's one of the things I want us to get out of today is that mankind should have new meaning for all of us today. We cannot be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest that we are all made in the image of God. I think that's what he said next. I, and that's part of what Genesis 1 is trying to tell us of the original plan, is that we can't be consumed by all these. We need to become a group of people that are seeing the world and humans and ourselves as even. Uh, then the last thing I want us to get out of uh, Genesis 1. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then, like I said, God said that all that he had made was very good. And so in the original plan, mankind is very good. That that's who God made us to be. God made humanity to be very good. 
which raises the question, are, is mankind very good? Is your neighbor very good? Is the folks, if we were to knock on every door out there and meet and hear their stories, would we be impressed by how good they are? Is your sentiment that the general amount of humanity is that all of humans are very good? And there's definitely a lot of voices in our world today that would say, no. Uh, there's statements like uh, that we are just human. Yeah, I, I am just human. It's this way of saying like, I mean, by the fact that like, I'm human, that's, of course I'm going to make mistakes. Like I'm flawed by my very nature. And is that true? Or is that a part of God's original plan? Or some people would just say things like, I mean, humans are just the worst. Like, they're just like so naturally going to like do bad things. And is that really who we are? Or is Genesis telling us a different story? Uh, so two movie references from the 90s. For this. Actually, one from the 70s. Uh, so uh, first one uh, from the 70s. Uh, this is Star Wars, uh, where... Luke is looking at Darth Vader, possibly the worst villain of all time. And Luke believes that there is still good in him. And is that true? Do we believe that the worst person you could ever imagine, maybe the worst person you've ever experienced in your life, is it true that there is still good in them? Or maybe even as you look in the mirror at yourself, is it true that there is still good in every single person? Uh, or next movie reference that does a great job uh, of explaining this uh, is the movie uh, Hook. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, uh, Robin Williams. Uh, in the movie, uh, Robin Williams is playing Peter Pan, and Peter Pan grew up in Never Neverland. This is actually like a whole great story for Genesis 1. So Peter Pan grew up in this land uh, where you would never die, you would never get old, and then he made a choice, and he decided to leave talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, and then uh, once he got to kind of normal world, he, he got old and he forgot who he was. And then through kind of a crazy uh, series of events, he ended up back in Neverland, but he doesn't remember who he is. And uh, Captain James uh, Hook looks at him. He says, you know, you're not really Peter Pan. You're not really Peter Pan. You're, you know you're not really Peter Pan, don't you? This is only a dream. When you wake up, you'll just be Peter Banning. You're not Peter Pan. You're, you're, you're a fraud. A cold, selfish man who drinks too much is obsessed with success and runs and hides from his wife and children. And there's a lot of voices that would tell us that that's who we are and that we can't ever change. Uh, but then this great moment in the movie. And so uh, Peter Pan's surrounded by this group of kids and this lost boys, and they're trying to figure out, you know, could you actually still be that Peter Pan that we remember? Uh, and there's this little boy, and he's like messing around with his face, and he's kind of stretching it and see and look, and he finally kind of holds his face in such a way where he catches a glimpse of that boy that he used to know as Peter Pan. And he smiles, and he has this look of, there you are, Peter. And that's part of what Genesis 1, I think, wants to tell every single one of us. That who we are in the deepest part of us is that we are still, and they are still, and those other people are still very good. 
And we might have to look closely. We might have to move some things around. But if we look deep enough, they are, there is still good left in them. The image that God created in them has never left. Uh, and so what we believe with Genesis 1 is that God created mankind. He created you. Deep down, he wants us to know in our hearts that we are made in the image of God. And he created them. No one is left out, male and female. He created all of us. And when God saw and when God sees all that he had made, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Uh, and obviously some things have gone wrong in the last little bit, but this is still what we believe. And looking forward, uh, of us who are centered on Jesus, this is central to the idea of following Jesus, is what Jesus still believes about all of us. What he says in John 10.10 10, is that he has come that we may have life and life to the full. People talk about it, that Jesus came as the perfect human to show us how to be human again if we decide we want to follow and live his way. That Jesus wants to reclaim a new version of humanity. That how God created humans to be and how he still believes we can be is very good. Uh, so, as we get ready for um, communion, I want us to take some time just to reflect on that. Uh, so again, this series, uh, 10, you can go on and come up and give me some background music. As we look at this fall, Again, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And really, what was the plan, what went wrong, and what is the answer? And I want us to spend some time reflecting uh, through that lens of Genesis 1 on each of those things. Uh, so as we start, I want to give you a minute or so just to, to yourself, with God, the Holy Spirit, we believe, is in this place. Uh, he was with you when you woke up this morning, too. Uh, you can spend some moments with God. And I want you to reflect on this idea the original plan is that you are made in the image of God. And that when God looks at you, he wants you to be his representation of what he is like in the whole world. That it's not some king, it's not something that's just in a temple, that it's all of us. And just sit with that for a minute. It's reflecting on that idea that you, no matter what you woke up this morning thinking about yourself, no matter what other people might have told you about yourself, spend a few moments reflecting on that idea that who you are is that you are someone that is made in the image of God. Spend a moment just reflecting on that.
next we want to reflect on what went wrong. Because something has gone wrong. We have gone wrong just today, just in this past week. And we want to be honest about that. Uh, we want to confess that. Uh, so we're going to look at this with two different parts, ourselves and then others. So first, how this week have you not treated yourself or seen yourself for who you really are? God says that you are made in his image, that you are precious, that you are loved, as we'll talk about in a second, that you are worth dying for. But it's possible that the way in which we have treated ourselves the thoughts that we have allowed ourselves to think, the messages we have allowed to internalize in ourselves, that we have treated ourselves far less than the image of God that we actually are. So would you take a moment and just reflect and confess to God the way in which you have dehumanized yourself this past week? And second, how have we dehumanized other people? How have we, with our words, with our actions, have we somehow thought of someone else like that they were disposable, that somehow their thoughts, their feelings didn't matter, that somehow that because of maybe our race or because of our age, or because of our gender, that somehow we were more important than someone else? How have you this past week, through word, deed, action, inaction, how have you dehumanized someone else? Spend some time just to confess that to God. finally, the plan was a very good world where humans are made very good in the image of God. There's been mistakes and sin and things have gone wrong, but there's an answer. God has never given up on his world to the point where he sent 
his own son. Uh, here's what it says in John chapter 3. So Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This idea that we can be reborn to a, a new humanity, to who we were originally supposed to be. And then maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, a little later on in John chapter 3, it says, God so loved the world that he originally made, that had broken and been messed up, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, believes what he said, when he said that we can still have life, the original plan, and we can have it to the full, shall not perish, but have eternal life, which is another way of saying life to the full. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he wants to save the world and save humanity through him. Uh, whenever you're ready, uh, Tim's going to keep playing. You can come up. There's communion on each of these tables and a table in the back. And whatever image you have of yourself, whatever image you have of other people, know that God's image of you is that he loves you enough to forgive you again and again and again. You can do the worst thing possible. You could kill his own son, and he would still forgive you. Because he believes that much, that deep down, the image of God has never left, and it can keep coming back and back and back to full life. Uh, when you're ready, you can take communion.